Hi, listeners. We have a quick announcement before we jump into today's episode. This episode will be the last main episode this year, and we'd like to wish all of you listening a happy holiday. However, there will be a few bonus episodes released, including a Solstice episode and Part 2 of The Deck of the Eternals. Check out our Patreon for more information. It's All in the Cards podcast may not be suitable for all listeners. Discretion is advised. Domino's coat smells like mud and pine as I stand close to him in the cell. It's cramped. I'm damn near sitting on the toilet beside the bunk beds just to lean down and look at Alexis. I cast a quick spell around the room to silence any sounds that may escape to the rest of the prison. Can't have Alexis bringing the guards around while Domino and I are still here. The vial with the smoke spell ready in my palm, I reach out with my magic and seep dread into her while Domino does the physical menacing. He growls, low at first, but then his growl resonates off the small cell walls, vibrating the cell door. No one else can hear but us. I made sure of that. I let that growl and my dread press on Alexis like a nightmare in her sleep until she finally stirs awake. I hold the vial up to her face as her eyes stare wide into the darkness. Play nice, and I won't use this on you this time. You know what I'm here for. She opens her mouth to spill the beans and give me exactly what I want. But before she can utter a word, she freezes, eyes wide. A sizzling sound catches my attention right before she starts screaming. She's not stupid enough to start screaming for help from me. Something else is happening. She kicks her blanket off and even in the darkness, I can see the small embers of fire dancing across her skin, burning her. God, the smell is so awful, I take a step back and pull Domino with me. The rest of the prison cannot hear her screams, and even if someone could rush in and try to help, I don't think anyone can save her. Her screams die when she starts coughing up smoke, and soon she chokes on flames. Either she's finally dead or the fight in her is gone, as her whole body sets ablaze, though somehow it does not spread to her cot. Hellfire. It's hellfire which means it takes less than five seconds for her whole body to shrivel into ash and then nothingness, as if a great wind came and blew her away. Nothing's left but a charcoal stain on her cot. Son of a bitch. It's All in the Cards, Season 2, Episode 6, Laying of Hands. The Two-Faced Man must be a bigger fish than I thought, if he's able to call Hellfire from a distance. That, or it's not the Two-Faced Man that did it. Either way, they're going to awfully great lengths to make sure I don't find his name. Which makes me not even want to try to use Marine's Black Room. Yeah, she has the whole place protected, but I'm not about to be the reason her house burns down. She's powerful, but I'm starting to wonder just how much demonic power I'm up against here. Jade? Earth to Jade? Sam's voice pulls me from my thoughts back to the coven class. We'd already done our usual exercises in grounding and shielding, and Roz was wrapping up. So I was taking the time to think about what the hell I'm going to do. But now Sam, 
Roz, and the neophytes are all staring at me, some smiling at my lack of attention and some exhausted by it. Jeez, you'd think kids would have more patience. What were you saying? We're ready to show you what we've been working on. All right, then. Let's see it. Justice? Justice stands and comes to Sam's side with an athame in hand. Sam holds her arm out. Justice slices quick and neat across the back of Sam's hand. Sam winces but doesn't cry out. It's not a huge gash, but it's large enough to draw blood. Been working on slicing and dicing for the ritual sacrifice, eh? Sam rolls her eyes but says nothing. She's patient as Justice takes her wounded hand and concentrates on healing it. Her power either has strengthened since the last time I saw her, or she's learned to project it more. She raises a shield before throwing energy into Sam. A warm feeling crawls through my chest. It's the delight that my teaching is actually getting through to them. I'm the proud master watching her student finally succeed. Damn, I didn't know it could feel this good. The energy from justice is nothing that can be seen with the human eye, but I feel it with my own power, like a sixth sense that's hyper-focused once it feels something like itself. Justice pushes her power into Sam's cut. The bleeding stops, and I bet if we were to wipe away the blood, the slice wouldn't be as deep or as long now. Hannah. Hannah comes to Sam's other side and also raises her power to heal the cut, shielding and drawing on the energy like she should. Within seconds, the small gash is completely gone. Congratulations, girls. You are able to lay hands to a small extent. It's a very telling milestone. Maybe one day you'll be able to heal a fatal wound together. Everyone here tonight is able to do this to some degree. And Roz has been helping us with group healing. Has she now? They're all working very hard to master this skill to the best of their ability. I'm excited to see how far they all can push it. Well, good work, everyone. If you feel like you've mastered control over your energy, then feel free to now practice at home on your own. Something tells me a few of you have been doing that anyways. If anything goes wrong, you know how to reach us. Roz gives the signal for the class to open the circle and ready to leave. A small part of me wants to tell Roz the truth about Steven and the Two-Faced Man. Her mother already knows. There's a slight chance she'd tell Roz, but if Roz knew, she'd probably rub my face in it every chance she got. Maureen must be holding to her word not to tell until voting time, which is inching closer to us every day. There aren't many more classes left before these neophytes should be ready to join the coven as a full member. Again, the swell of pride in their progress blankets me, but I shake it off. I don't have time to enjoy the little things. I've got to figure out what the hell is going on. Sam abandons me for her friends, so of course Ross takes this moment to walk with me out of the woods. We've gotten a bit more on friendly terms, but I still don't know how to feel about her, her mother, or the coven. I haven't let go of my anger. I still blame the original coven members for my mother's death, and Ross for her betrayal of our friendship. But killing them was never really an option even when I was rampant and high on the devil's power right after her death. But that doesn't mean I can't find another way to destroy them. I assume you heard the news about Alexis? I saw it this morning on Channel 5 News. There. That was the truth. The news of an inmate spontaneously combusting made the morning news. Roz doesn't need to know that I was actually there when it happened. You sure you didn't find out another way? The cards aren't that vivid. Well... I mean, they can be, but- You know that's not what I meant. I stop and look at her, giving her my full gaze. I swear on the maiden, mother, and crone that I did not kill Alexis. There, again the truth. Roz waits in silence as if expecting the triple goddess to smite me where I stand. 
Or maybe she's just deciding whether or not to trust me. Probably both. Sam's also noticed you scratching at a particular spot the last few weeks. And I noticed it today during the lesson. I get ashy in the cold months. Who doesn't? If you're hiding something that's going to come back and bite the coven in the ass... I believe you've done enough biting in the ass of this coven for the both of us, don't you think? Ouch. Low blow. We walk in silence for a few seconds. Roz gathers some strength to change tactics. I see it in the way she walks, a tad taller, and a softness overtakes her face. If you're in trouble, you know you don't have to deal with it alone. If you really are going to be the high priestess of our coven, your troubles are our troubles. As if you ever let your troubles trouble the coven? You can learn from my mistakes, Jade. I can handle my personal affairs, thanks. If I really do bite off more than I can chew, I'll let everyone know. Though I feel it's mostly the neophytes who would come to my aid, not the elders in the coven. You have more of them on your side than you think. And the ones who aren't jazzed about you being here, frankly, I'd like them gone. Are you saying my first action as High Priestess of the Sisters of Hecate should be to exile the naysayers? Would I suggest such a thing? You had division among your ranks before. Why didn't you take that tactic then? Because I had already created my leading style, and throwing power around like that was not in the wheelhouse. But it could be for me. She shrugs. I guess that's up to you. Great. As if I needed any other decisions on my plate to worry about. One thing at a time. Figure out Two-Faced Man's name, and see what the devil really wants me for. The sound cuts through the silence like a knife, and I'm almost relieved to have another person in the building with me. Sam won't be in until after school, and after the few regulars we have had come in for coffee, the place has been completely dead. Even Persephone didn't want to keep me company, choosing to bound off after who knows what after I gave her some scratches on her head. I spent the morning combing through all the lists of the names I can find online of demons, and it's starting to give me the creeps. The shadows around the store have started to move, a phantom passing at the corner of my eye. My home is beginning to feel unsettling, as if I am the intruder, and an unseen oppressive force wants me out. How could that be if my words are still intact? I decided to take a break, check the wards, but everything looked fine. The stress may finally be getting to me, or maybe I'm finally tired of being so alone after so many years. Welcome to Which Way Between the Lines. How can I see for you today? I start speaking before I see her. She's a petite thing, standing in the doorway with a cloud of red curls around her face. She brightens when she sees me, clutching her purse that looks more expensive than my entire outfit. Hi, I'm Stella. I was hoping to get a reading today. This place always looks so cool, but I've never had the courage to come in. Are you the one who does the tarot? I'm Jade. I do readings here. Is there something specific you're looking for today? She shakes her head, hair bouncing across her shoulders. Not really. It's my birthday today, and I don't have plans until tonight, so I figured I would treat myself to something I've always wanted to try. Have you been doing tarot long? A wry smile creeps across my face as I lead her back into the reading room. Only my whole life. But we do need some kind of question in order to do a proper reading. Oh, right. Totally. Uh, does it have to be a really specific question? Like, what will I have for dinner tonight? Because I already know I'm getting honey mustard wings and a side salad. What, no broccoli? Broccoli gives me the toots. <laughs> I'm sorry I asked. I smile at her as I grab a deck of cards. I'm not normally drawn to bubbly people, but Stella has an air about her that makes her easy to like. No, it doesn't have to be that specific. 
and it's definitely not a good idea if you already know the answer. It should be something like, how do I solve this problem? Where am I going in life? Does so-and-so like me? That kind of thing. If only my readings lately were that straightforward. Okay, um... She looks off to the side as she thinks, and I can tell the moment the right question crosses her mind because her eyes go wide with excitement. I've got it. What can you tell me about my past life? She does a little dance in her chair, clearly thrilled with herself. I set a firm smile into my face, prepared to break her heart. That is one of the few questions I can't answer, unfortunately. There's no such thing as past lives. What? How do you know that? Have you ever died? I avoid that last question. I've been doing this a long time. My family has communed with the spirits since before you were born. We have never encountered any evidence of a past life coming through into this one. If reincarnation is real, we don't have a way to see it. What else do you want to know? She huffs at me and slouches back into her chair, the shine wearing off this new experience for her. Fine. Uh, what can you tell me about my future, then? I can tell you everything. I start shuffling before laying out a simple three-card spread. This is a past-present-future spread. Your past informs your present, which informs your future. Looking at the pieces together, we can see what kind of path you will end up on. I turn over the first card. The Ten of Swords looks up at me, ominous and deadly. When I don't say anything, she prompts me. What's that one mean? Does it say I had a bad childhood? Because I really didn't. My parents loved me very much and gave me everything. There shouldn't be anything bad in my past. I look up at her, studying the deep hazel of her eyes and the freckles across her cheek. Why did you ask about past lives? She looks confused, but answers me. I don't know. It was the first thing I thought of. I thought it would be cool to know what my soul has gone through in different eras. You hear about that kind of stuff all the time. So I thought, why not me? Have you died before? What? No, I have not died before. What kind of question is that? A lot of people die and are revived. Anaphylaxis, drowning, whatever. Has something like that ever happened to you? Uh, no. I think I would remember. Why? I tap the card. See this right here? This is the Ten of Swords. This means bad things. This card means death, sudden and violently. If you've never technically died before, why would this show up in your past slot? I don't know. You're the tarot reader, not me. I'm pretty sure I would know if I've died before. I purse my lips, but move on. Well, it looks like you died in your past. Maybe the present card will tell us what's going on here. Flipping over the second card reveals two coins stacked edge on edge. The Two of Pentacles. This is about balance. A precarious one. Things are stable now, but they won't stay that way. Something is about to knock the whole thing over. What whole thing? First I died, now I'm going to get knocked over? What kind of tarot reader are you? A pretty damn good one, most of the time. This, though... This is weird. I stare at the cards as if they could change under my gaze. What's going on here? Is the two-faced man behind this? It doesn't feel like demonic magic, but things rarely feel right when you're in the midst of them. Feeling the oppressive force from before just as heavy in the reading room? It's a good possibility he's found another way to mess with me. Before we move on to her last card, I reach my arms across the table. Give me your hands. What? No! Why? I'm not paying for a palm reading, too. She keeps her arms crossed over her chest, but she leans forward a little, curious. It's not a palm reading. I have other gifts than reading tarot, and I think this situation calls for them. Now give me your hands. Gingerly, she unwraps her hands from around her body and lays them on the table. I slide mine into hers, palm on palm, and close my eyes. 
opening myself up just a little to see what's going on there. It comes in quick flashes, pieced together bit by bit. The same red curls, only this time they're tied up in a tight bun, kept off her face as she focuses on the machine in front of her. It's an old-fashioned commercial sewing machine, but it doesn't look old. It looks shiny and new, like it was just built yesterday. Then I see her inside a small apartment, holding a young boy on her lap in front of a dying fire. She smiles as she speaks to him, but her voice is different. The vowels coming out longer, the consonants hitting harder. It's not the same voice she had when she walked into my store, but it's the same girl. I can sense it in her. And then, fire, blazing high around the factory, the air filled with smoke and screaming as the women all try to exit at once. I see her red hair through the crowd, and then it's gone, trampled beneath hurried feet as everyone pushes forward, trying to escape. I gasp as I let go of Stella's hands, coming back to the reading room. I open my mouth to reassure her that everything's fine, but one look at her face tells me that it isn't. Tears stream past her closed lids, coming hard and silently. When she opens her eyes, there's only confusion. What was that? What did I just see? You saw it too? That's not how this usually works. I've never had a vision shared with the person I'm reading before. But then again, I've never seen a vision of a past life before either. Was that me? She kind of looked like me, but but that kid... Oh god, that poor kid lost his mother. Shh, it's okay. I hand her a tissue and try to calm her down. Careful not to touch her again. Neither one of us needs to go back into that world. It's not okay. Who was that? I don't know. It could be someone in your lineage, or an echo of a stranger, or- Or me! It was me. I can feel it. I felt the feet walking over my body. I couldn't breathe. It's okay. You can breathe now. Focus on that feeling. She shakes her head, sending her curls flying. I don't want to. This was a mistake. This whole thing was a mistake. I shouldn't have come here. She gets up quickly, running towards the door. I start to follow, but I know it would be useless. I can't ask her to pay for a reading that clearly left her traumatized. I make a mental note to get payment before the reading next time. I hear the bells over the door jingle again as she leaves. I start to collect my cards from the table when I see the last one, still sitting face down. Before I can think too hard about it, I turn it over. The Two of Wands. Time to make a choice. Move forward, or stay here? I let myself wonder briefly if it's more for Stella or for me. Then I sweep the card into the deck. That's a problem for another day. Help! Someone please! Anyone please! Hello? Can anyone hear me? My blood freezes in my veins. Damn it. I forgot to recharge my cone of silence spell on the basement. He must have sensed it. I guess I was getting too cocky, or just used to him not testing it. Of course he's going to push my buttons every way he can to get free. I storm down there before anyone hears him. He laughs as he hears me walk across the room to the basement door. He's thoroughly enjoying my fright by the time I charge down the stairs. He's busting a gut as I open the fake wall to Mr. Google's hiding hall, where I've kept him trained up all these months. He wants my attention, so it's the one thing I don't give him. I don't even look at him. Just immediately began rebuilding my cone of silence around the cave. Oh, come on, Jade. I just want a mocha latte. Would it kill you to give me some caffeine? I continue to ignore him, and I realize the oppressive energy I've been feeling all day is worse down here. Definitely all his doing, or at least he's the focus for it. Say, what I have you, how's the name search going, Jade? 
<laughs> Any closer to finding it and finally banishing me? Of course, you know the other way to get rid of me. All you have to do is break the seal. I'm halfway through the room with the Cone of Silence spell, my energy cast out. The oppressive force heavy like someone hovering right behind me, waiting, but for what I'm not sure. I refuse to turn around and look at him. I turn to the far wall of the cave, blanketed in shadows, and begin stretching the spell across it. Running my hand over the cool, damp earthen wall, I push my energy into it to create the barrier for the spell. I will not look at him. Look at me! From the shadow on the wall of the cave, a black figure with white, empty eyes, a white mouth, and teeth with no lips roars at me. I fall back on my ass, screaming, arm up to defend myself. The moment I blink, the thing disappears. In its place stands the two-faced man. His arms and legs stretch more gangly, his head bulbous and losing hair. His skin stretches hard across his face, as if the bones and muscle are growing, but the skin can't keep up. You know, this is what his husband actually saw in his last moments alive. His voice still stirs from behind me. The mouth of the monstrous version in front of me doesn't move. It's not really him, or at least, it's not all of him. He's finally given me some glimpses of the nightmare he can be. My heart jumps up into my throat, but I swallow it down and make my way to my feet. What's in front of me is just a projection. I'd rather face the projection instead of him. Partly because I want to prove I'm not afraid of the monstrosity he's showing me, and partly because I'm not foolish enough to turn my back on the thing that's roaming free and could possibly do damage. The ghoulish figure in front of me pats my shoulder and smiles at me, as if we're best friends. As if its smile isn't bleeding and crooked and full of cracked teeth and a lolling tongue. I do something I haven't done purposefully in a very long time. I unlock a specific shield holding most of my power. For day-to-day work, and even for the occasional eating of souls, I don't need to utilize all my power. As long as I use it minimally, the rest will settle. It doesn't fight for me to feed. It's like holding a fistful of sand, a few wisps still seeping out from the crevices of my fingers, but I hold most of it inside. The only glimpses anyone has been given of this power is when I let my emotions get the better of me, or in times like when I ate through the circle of protection at the class a few weeks back. Not now. I unleash that power deep inside me. It explodes out into the cave. The gangly two-faced man in front of me puts one arm up to shield itself, but the force still pushes it off its feet, landing on the edge of the shore of the underground river. Mr. Giggles takes that moment to make a most spectacular appearance. Damn, so I didn't need to release my power after all. My loving boy came to rescue me. He chomps down on the ghoulish figure and pulls him into the water. How long there will actually remain a physical figure to chomp on? I'm not sure. I know I shared my soul-eating power with Mr. Giggles, but I don't think any of Stephen is in that figure. No, Stephen's body's still behind me, chained to the wall. Well, so much for my fun. I still say nothing to him. I finish walking the area, having to work extra hard to draw the line of the spell behind Two-Faced Man while also staying out of reach. You can't keep this up forever, Jade. You'll eventually crack. And when you do, I'll be here for you. When you crack, you don't have to run off to him. I can take away all the pain. That stops me, and I fight the urge to ask him a question. I know what he's referring to, but if he's telling me not to return to his master, then what the hell does he want with me? Maybe the answer to that question 
is the real reason he's been hanging patiently about, but I'm not going to find out tonight. My curiosity will not get the better of me. As I finish the spell, my cell phone rings. I retrieve it from my pocket and head back upstairs, trying to shake the chills I still feel from the little parlor trick the two-faced man pulled. An unknown number flashes on the screen. I usually don't answer those, but something told me to pick it up. Hello, you've reached Jade Albright. Jade? Jade, don't hang up. You need to come quick. It's Beatty. Uncle Dale? What's going on? She's got some sort of virus, and it's running rampant. She refuses to go to the doctor, won't let me try to heal her. You need to come now. Okay, I'm coming. Two-Faced Man chuckles behind me as I jog. <laughs> That's right. Run along, little wayward sinner. Though I don't think you'll have the good Lord's blessing to heal her. I ignore the taunt and instead put that thinking to use. If she won't let Uncle Dell help her, she may not let me either. Then again, she and Dell have been at odds lately, so it may be more than just her stubborn will. But I gotta figure out something to do or say that will convince her to either go to the doctor or let us help. And I've gotta figure it out quick. My phone lights up with a message from Sam. It's a pun. What do snowmen eat for breakfast? I ignore her text and get ready to head to Mountainburg. But, as I'm starting my car, a thought occurs. I text her back. Frosted flakes, I'm coming to you. My car shakes and thuds up Aunt Beatty's treacherous driveway. Every year, she gets a nearby farmer to bring her some fresh drive and plow it down with his tractor for her. But every year, the rain washes it out. It's not like she gets out much and needs to use it, but she really should think about her visiting kids and grandkids. Are you sure we can make it up this drive? Yeah, I really don't want to disappear into a pothole forever. We're fine, and we're almost there. Their whining makes me regret bringing them, but when I tried to bring only Sam, she made a convincing argument to at least bring Hannah and Justice. I told them I wasn't about to get yelled at by their parents because they decided to play hooky the last hour of school, but I know at least Roz knows. She and Maureen are also behind us with Rachel. Roz's jeep's faring slightly better than my car on the drive. Are you sure she will even give us a chance? That, I'm afraid, is probably going to be more dependent on what you girls say than what I say. I park beside Uncle Dale's blue Ford pickup, sitting in front of the house. Roz parks right behind me. Great. I can't leave until she does. Though maybe she'll want to leave as soon as I do as well. Aunt Beatty holds a bit of a grudge, too, though how much of one I can't say. She's more chummy with Maureen than I was before, so maybe this united front will make her see reason. We step up on the porch, and Uncle Dale greets us at the door. Thank you for coming, Jade. i just about given up any chance of reasoning with her. The virus on top of her cancer, and the fever is eating her. And I think it's caused pneumonia. All the more reason to let us go in and talk to her. I try to push past him, but he raises a hand to stop me. Girl, will you just listen for a minute? You've got to approach this as delicately as possible. Trying to strong armor into anything isn't going to work. I thought you were the voice of persuasion, Uncle Dale. I thought your voice could move mountains. My faith moves the mountains. Her faith drives her to self-destruction. The Albright self-righteousness didn't skip over you, Uncle. You just pick and choose when to let it rear its ugly head. If you can talk her into letting me lay hands, I think I can at least get her stable. I'm not here to ask her for that. He finally stops and takes a moment to see who's come with me. What? You really think she'll let 
witches lay hands on her? You're crazier than her. Just move, Uncle Dale, and let your niece and her friends try to save your sister. I'm not sure if it's the reminder that we're all family here, or just his willingness to give up, but he huffs and throws a tired hand up. Good luck. He moseys over to the rocking chair on the corner of the porch, sits down, and begins to whittle some wood. Several pieces are strewn about around the chair. He must have been here longer than I thought taking care of her. I turn back and face my ragtag group of witches. Three neophytes and three seasoned practitioners, and me, the reason they're here at all. If anyone has a chance at saving her, it's the six with me. Still, that doesn't mean that chance isn't a snowball's chance in hell. Well, let's go try to save a life. It would seem that the shifting sands of time have not exactly been kind to Jade. Her aunt, on her deathbed, staring down the barrel of becoming the High Priestess, and knowing, to some level, the devil always gets his due. What will Jade do next? Will she be able to save her aunt? Truly, not even I know. This episode of All in the Cards podcast was written by Ashley McAnally and Morgan Valco with theme music composed by the arsonist and performed by Veronica Stonebreaker. Featuring the voice talents of Ashley McAnally, Ariel Dorvik, Jessica McAvoy, Scott Thomas, Nicole Goodnight, Fuck. Journey Brown St. L, S.H. Cooper, and Atticus Jackson. We would like to give a shout-out to our newest Patreon member, Shalini Parikh. I'm not certain if I said that correctly. If I did not, please let me know and I will do better next time. If you too would like to support the show, you can join our Patreon and get ad-free episodes, early access, and exclusive bonus content, including the spin-off series, The Deck of the Eternals, a Patreon exclusive to our Celtic Cross Spread subscribers. Part 1 is already out, and Part 2 will be premiering this month. Be sure to check us out on Facebook and Instagram from It's All in the Cards podcast, and Twitter at It's All in the Card. Links in the show notes. It's All in the Cards podcast may not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised.